0: Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 262nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together, educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Nature doesn't waste energy, and by using natural cycles to work in our favor, we can harvest both plants and fish. Let us teach you how. Text GROWFISH.com. To 33444 or visit IWantToGrowFish.com and you will receive our free webinar on how to grow your own fish-powered garden. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is developing solutions for our growing mediums. We're talking to Bill Sadler about nutrition to the soil and plants. Bill began farming at the age of eight when, under the watchful eye of his father, He both successfully managed his own tomato and vegetable stand, selling his own harvests, and helped raise Nubian dairy goats on the family farm. When his family purchased a large farm in rural Missouri, he and his father developed a cattle operation and planted their own vineyard. His father's pioneering influence and background in agriculture and sustainable farming led Bill to appreciate these methods long before they were cool. Bill earned his PhD in biochemistry and with skills has proven a problem solver, focuses on developing green and sustainable solutions for a wide range of products and services. Welcome to the show today, Bill.
1: Hey, it's great to be here, Greg.
0: So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Yeah, I think the, the big path is I grew up in a family that honored nature. Mm, nice. Outdoors people love to be part of it, grew up fishing, grew up doing a lot of things kind of outdoors. This whole indoor culture of video games and all that certainly precedes me, but it was a wonderful way and and learned and I think got a good appreciation of what Mother Nature's trying to do. And, and then when I added my science background, began to understand, I think, more of the maybe the technical ways Mother Nature works together and does things and just found it exciting. And I guess at the end of the day, not sure the, I'll call it the modern farming techniques are uh, respecting maybe all that that was about. And Uh. I think continue to see holes and problems in the long-term approach and continue to want to develop products and help people understand there is probably a little simpler and maybe frankly a lot better way uh, to look at how how these things work together.
0: And it seems like one of the things that larger agriculture does is uses soil up
1: yeah i think there was a time when a farmer looked at his soil and he could say year over year it's getting a little better than it was the year before Uh i think today we're like you said using it up i call it mining all right they're kind of mining the soil away and and hard pans are getting deeper takes more chemicals takes more fertilizer And I think the big thing that's been lost is that we've kind of forgotten the biology that's beneath our feet. And I always try to tell people you can appreciate what's on top, but generally what you need to understand, there's probably as much or more going on beneath.
2: Yeah.
1: And when you put it in perspective to that, you get kind of a whole different view that it's probably something we just have not given its its fair share of.
0: Right. Right. Well, and I love what you said in your intro, your science background. I, I actually have a long, deep science background as well. I, in the 70s and 80s, when I was studying in school, that's what I was most curious about. So how has that science background helped you uh, you know, kind of develop into what you are today?
1: Well, I think what it's helped me do is appreciate the connections. And this could be everything from technology and how it leads to a product or technology and how it leads uh, to a solution. Mm-hmm. But I think the science helped me understand why things we learn in one place can help us in another. For part of my career, I managed a zoological group that has helped a lot of endangered animals, in my opinion. Wow. And we had a science called comparative nutrition, because when you only got 600 of something left, you can't kind of model or test those, you know, you have to use things that are right. closer related. And I think that connection has helped me in the soils and understanding that there are things that we know about other systems that now, when you look at the soil, go, aha, that probably what we know over here a little better is likely happening over here. Yeah. So what are the consequences? What do we need to do to make that likely get better? Even though you don't have maybe all the data, but you've got enough, you think and hope direct you in the right direction
0: right perfect did you use the word comparative nutrition a little while ago i did yeah tell me about that
1: well when you study an elephant you know they're kind of hard to do certain things with they take up a lot of space you know Uh all that so what you find out is that a horse and a guinea pig are frankly quite closely related digestively in their system so what you do is you have a lot more information about both of those so you begin to incorporate the knowledge of what those animals you know a lot more about and make sure you're following those rules in other animals. And Ah. what you try to do is find matches and comparisons.
2: Oh, interesting.
1: Wow. So I think soils have the same thing. For years, we never thought the our microbiome, the bacteria that live with us was all that important.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Today, they're thinking about calling it the next major organ in your body, right. basically all the bacteria that live with you. Well, geez, what's the soil loaded with? A whole host of <laughs> bacteria that actually associate themselves with plants. Mm-hmm. So, wow. So did Mother Nature really create a different model or did she really just tweak the one she had? So right. animals and humans... Have their set of microbes. Guess what? Not too hard to believe that plants might have their own. Their set. own set as well. Yeah. And then so if you respect one, you might want to pay attention to the other and not try to eliminate them all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, and I've heard recently some studies running around that for those of us that have our hands in the dirt, we're healthier. Have you seen any of that?
1: Oh, absolutely. The joke is, every two-year-old should grow up with a dog and certainly play out in the dirt because, yeah, yeah you're picking up immune cues from organisms and, and helping your immune system to react and, and be aware of your environment. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not a pediatrician. I'm not a an immunologist, so uh-huh. I, I want to be careful, but this rise in uh, allergies and this rise in food allergy particularly uh, has been, I think, more and more linked to the fact that we might live in a little too clean of environment yeah. sometimes and that a little more exposure, you know, wouldn't hurt
0: us. Wouldn't hurt us, yeah. You know, I've wondered about that for the past decade or so, and and we're seeing more and more evidence to that. Right. Yeah. But and
1: plants do the same thing. Yeah. You know, when we spray pesticides or herbicides and things like that, we think, oh, that ain't no big deal. But the reality is they live likely in this same kind of cosmos. And so, man, if we're wiping out the beneficial guys and gals that are living with them, hmm Or is it too shocking that they're going to become weaker or more susceptible? Right. I would think not. Yeah. And so if you can continue to manage them properly, then I think you continue to see the benefits and growth by the plant. It's an aesthetic. It could be a flower. It could be a tomato. Immaterial. Right. But probably the same biology is occurring in all.
0: Yeah. We're here to talk about soil, and I get this question a lot. What's the difference between soil and dirt?
1: Ah, you stole one from my vocabulary. (laughs) I always... When I give my talks, I like to kind of comment that what's the difference? And my answer is soil is alive, dirt is dead. And if we're going to use what soils were really meant to be, it was not about being a structural media to hold up a plant it mm-hmm. was there to actually provide the nutrition the biology the connections between plants between the organisms that live in live in the soil and on the soil to work together and that's so soil to me is a kind of a big word uh, there was a line once given by a gentleman that we know more about the stars above us than the than the, than the soil beneath our feet and I more I learn, and the more I read, the more I tend to believe that. Yeah. Nothing wrong with understanding space. I'm not trying to put a knock on it. It's just, man, you, soils are pretty important to oh. our existence here on the planet. So. <laughs> you think? <laughs> you think? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So w- I, when I teach, one of the things that I teach are the five components of healthy soil, and dirt is one of them because dirt has, in in my estimation, it has micronutrients that, if All you have is dirt. Those micronutrients are locked up. The plants can't uptake them. The other four components of healthy soil are airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. Can you kind of grade me on my uh, teaching? How'd I do?
1: Oh, I think you did pretty well. Oh, cool. I'll give you an A minus kind of there. Uh, I mean, uh, I think you're there. I think the key also is to talk through the balance. I, I don't know that I could give you 10 articles, but I've come to be a believer, and I've, I guess, read enough to believe that if you get the biology right, most of those other things you mentioned will take care of themselves. We know pH will, we know organic matter will, uh-huh. we know that unlocking the nutrients will, and we believe, I, in my mind, is that if you get it right, you'll also get the space and air requirement, because yeah. the, there's enough critters on and I and I use the earthworm in my talks as uh-huh. kind of the poster child right. for that activity but you certainly know that they can aerate the soil and travel through it and leave tunnels just as larger things like moles and crickets and all kinds of things do so yeah. it's it, so I'd say yes but I I tend to fall in the biology camp uh-huh. now I understand that sand is not the same as soil so it requires a certain amount of physical components but right. in most normal soils, I think if you get the biology right, you will find a lot of those characteristics come along. And I think it's hard to get the others right without getting the biology correct. Yeah. So that's kind of, but that's my view. That's one view today. And there are lots of them out there.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and it seems, that seems consistent with what I've been hearing and learning over the past couple of decades is that the soil life is really what's incredibly important so what is the soil life
1: well the best example and I and I apologize I'm not a schooled to all of it uh, there's a PhD or a doctor Elaine Ingeman oh yes. I don't know if you've had the soil food web
0: we I mean, have she's had a, her
1: excellent uh you're you're going to get an A for that
0: okay uh, good <laughs> she is
1: she is a pioneer in my mind of beginning to understand this whole biology component, Uh and I've read a lot of her work, and just the whole model, I think her estimate, and she may have updated it since I last read, but some 25,000 species likely live in the soil. Wow. Uh, Things that you can see with the naked eye, and a lot of things you can't, and a lot of things that might look like a moving speck of dust on your desk are all pretty important things in this whole ecosystem that is in in essence in the soil. And when you break that, then you you break a whole set of things. It's not just one organism leaving, you're gonna impact a whole bunch of things. And again, lots of examples on the top side of the soil about wolves disappearing from Yellowstone and what happens when they come back and all the things. So when you really start knowing the big ones, you begin to understand that the little ones probably are are have importance as well yeah so that to me is what so elaine has been a great pioneer in that and mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of what i think of it's a whole family and they're all kind of working with and against each other right it is eat or be eaten kind of a thing down there probably mm-hmm. but it is what drives the nutrition and then what drives the nutrient availability that ends up what the plants are doing.
0: So you said that there are 25,000 or so different species that can grow in the soil. Can you kind of group them?
1: Right. Yeah. I'll do it in one term and then I'll kind of talk about it in another way as well.
0: Okay, please.
1: You've got bacteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got single cell organisms like protozoa, amoeba. You have the funguses, which is where your mycorrhiza uh, will fit in. You then move into a whole class of I guess I'll have to begin calling them invertebrates, but insects, lots of little creatures that walk and crawl and move that are quite prevalent, and then you move into things like earthworms and crickets and things that are larger and visible. And the ones that are frequently forgotten are ones that don't always appear. A robin, a mole, are all really part of the Uh ecosystem. A toad that's digging his hole, a snake, all are part of this ecosystem that are growing are providing a, a connection. Yeah. So a guy once told me stop and look and and watch and you will be amazed what life exists in those environments and the plants are merely a, a in my view kind of a beneficiary but they also provide a huge benefit to that soil biology.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's quite the list! Bacteria, single-cell organisms, fungus, which is where the mycorrhizae is at, insects, right. worms, vertebrates, invertebrates—all mm-hmm. working together to have us have us have healthy soil.
1: Right, and then the plants. A fact that is not maybe not known or missed is that a plant could easily produce up to fifty to sixty percent of the sugars it makes from sunlight, mm-hmm. and actually exude them out into the soil through its root
0: system. Oh my gosh, wow.
1: And that's, in most people would, when I ask that question, most people say three, five, seven, but it is very large and it's the one thing the bacteria particularly are looking for is Mm -hmm. they need the sugar or energy so they can grow and multiply along the root system. And once they become healthy, then they become the base of the food chain, so to speak, Mm -hmm. so that all the other things that we are interested in begin to happen. So they get fed on, they consume other things, you know, it begins the whole cycle of, of, of life at that particular point.
0: Yeah. And so what we're looking to do is to create a healthy balance of the list of crew that live in our soil.
1: That's my view, and the and I think Elaine would agree because I hope it's from her work. Yeah. The good news is each plant has a kind of different family it likes to keep next to it
2: mm. because
1: because of what that plant likes to do. Now the really good news is we don't have to figure that out right now because the plants and the bacteria and the organisms figured that out probably thirty forty million years ago. <laughs> nice. So the good thing we need to do is just provide an environment for those things to thrive and then the plants and they will then figure out what they need to sort out and do.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I think our job is to provide the core nutrients or provide the environment where they can then thrive and then ho- and hopefully, but I think I've watched, it will then kind of take off from there and the plants will then develop their own relationship. And that's what you're after. Yeah. That's how the great prairies and the great forests of all the globe where they were here long before, I'll say, man showed up to, quote, improve them. Right. And I put that in quotes. You didn't see that, but I was kind of
0: quoting that.
1: <laughs> so we know it works. It's just a matter of letting it work.
0: Yeah. Wow. I'm going to put you on the spot here. If there was one thing that we could do in our garden To start creating healthy soil, it it, can it be boiled down to one like one thing that's that's the thing.
1: Well, if it was one product, I would probably have to vote for compost. Mm -hmm. But if I was giving it to you in a little broader basis, I would probably say the one big thing is feed it. You got a pet at home? You put out food every day. Mm -hmm. Give the soil some food let and what you're really doing is feeding this population and let it begin to grow and do its thing, so that would be my one simple kind of hopefully answer and If you could only choose one product, then i'd probably choose compost at the first, but it it will run you short of where you want to go that's why we'll you know talk about some other things likely here, but feed i think treat it like a pet mm-hmm. it's a feed it. Care for it that way.
0: Great, so let's go ahead and go there. How do we feed our soil?
1: Well, as as you are well aware we chatted earlier, we have a new website, Uh gardenmakers.com, and one of the things we tried to do is to first give total transparency to the producer so they can look at everything that's in their fertilizer. If you're not aware, many, many fertilizers have a lot of carriers in them, particularly the chemical-based ones that you never know what they are. Right in our case, down to the last piece, we tell you everything that's in the fertilizer. So we think that's pretty awesome. But mm-hmm. then the second awesome for us is people have their own garden. They want to add certain things. They've read about certain things. So our job is to provide a broad list of those unique fertilizer type ingredients and let you formulate your very own fertilizer the exact way you want to do it. Wow. We give you guidelines. We give you opportunity to you know, we, we will help you along, so to speak, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we're not here to judge or over recommend. You pick what you think is right. If you want to choose one of our standard formulas, perfect. That's, that's probably a good place to start. But yeah. if you want to add this or tweak it with this, feel free to do so. And I think we're the first site that's up and available to do that for customers, and they can literally customize, I think, up as low as a five pound bag. Uh, wow! Th- th- of what you might want for your garden or your flowers or whatever you'd like. Right. And I think that's kind of important in this feeding source. You're going to use things that are going to be successful for you and your soil, and you ought to have the ability to go get them and and buy them. I think the way you know when you kind of want.
0: Yeah. Wow. What's your uh, website?
1: Gardenmaker.com.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So, if I was going to your website and ordering something, what kinds of things are in these fertilizers to feed? Because generally we think about fertilizers to feed the plants, but that's not what I'm hearing. What I'm hearing you tell us is that we want to feed the soil. So what kinds of things would we see in your products that feed the soil?
1: Right. So we've got a couple, and I'll just pick out a couple examples because they're kind of, you know, maybe tell the story. The first thing we pay attention to also is we have a lot of what we call grain-based products that have a certain amount of energy on their own. Mm-hmm. So we'll have an ingredient you may not have even heard of much of called wheat mids, uh, which is a byproduct of the flour industry but provides a, both a nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium source plus a certain amount of carbohydrates that are kind of in a core or basic form, which helps grow in our mind's bacteria. Wow. On the, on the other side, we will have alfalfa. Alfalfa is a more of a fibrous material. Mm-hmm. It has some very soluble, simple sugars, which are great, but the big thing it has is it actually has a natural compound called tricotinol, and tricotinol actually stimulates root development. So there's where an ingredient has a direct kind of biostimulant effect on the plant, and that was discovered in Iowa some back time in the 70s.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So for potted plants, We all kind of know root-bound is a common problem. Alfalfa is one of those things that can really help the plant grow new roots. And if you really dig into the competitive rose group, you'll actually see a lot of people writing, man, I used alfalfa around my roses, and they really look great. And so you get that, and you begin to understand that it's most likely both the nutrient base, the support of the microbes that it provides, Uh and it has tricotinol, which is likely helping some root development, which generally helps top development. Wow! So those are a couple. I mean, we have bat guano, we have humic yeah. acid. we've got all a lot of the standard stuff: feather meals, blood meals, mm-hmm. phosphate sources that are quite available. That all come, and most of them, we we'll let you site. The site will let you sort by natural, mm-hmm. vegan, organic, or non-GMO. So if you have a certain characteristic that you kind of want to follow as a, as a, maybe your family or your your emotional side or how you want to look at that, then you can also go in there and sort the ingredients so you can pick ones that all that fit into those categories. Wow. That's a word we want to hear from
0: (laughs) lots of
2: people. Wow. We like the word wow. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm I'm sitting over here. I'm trying to wrap my head around everything you just shared with me because I've got 40 years of background and studying this stuff, not deeply, but I have a general understanding. So with what you just shared, that is you've crossed the lines of so many different pieces. Like when you were sharing about the alfalfa and the wheat in organic gardening, what we do is we grow green cover crops and alfalfa is one of the green cover crops I've grown before. So you, what you really did is you looked at some of those technologies and you integrated it into what you're doing.
1: That's our view. And and all the practices you just I mean, the, the idea of a cover crop, that is great. Mm-hmm. We love all of that concept. What we know, at least we feel we know,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: is that when we put our fertilizers down and we would just as soon call them foods than fertilizers, right? But legally we can't do that. What we're gonna do is we're gonna populate and begin to grow Organisms we believe in the soils that are maybe a little bit away from the root system yet, Mm -hmm. which just brings their population up. So when a plant is then introduced, either through a seed or through a planting, then we're going to get a robust population that this plant is going to get to travel through with its root system and begin to create its symbiotic relationships that it wants. So the key is to make sure that as many members are there that they can support and colonize even in a greater extent Mm -hmm. but without them there then it's harder and harder for the plant to be
0: successful got it and what i hear you saying kind of not even saying but alluding to is the the more microbiology that we have in the soil the better off we are
1: yes i mean there and i lose track of the number it's like if you're actually counting organisms you know it's you know 10 to the 9th 10 to the 10th gram of soil or something. So yeah, we're we're after an enormous population and everything that's been known of looking at native prairies or native forest soils, though very different in their populations, are teeming, literally teeming with microbiology Mm -hmm. and what's really going on with the root system and rotting trees and all of that. I always tell one little quick story, and I think you like stories. Absolutely, bring it. Rainforest soils, are really quite poor. Right. People would think of them as rich, but no, they're really poor because the soil, that ecosystem keeps its nutrient base in its canopy. But when a tree falls, it doesn't last very long. Mm. <laughs> I mean, because the goal of a rainforest is to convert those nutrients back up into canopy, so it has a whole system. Temperate soils tend to be a little different. We tend to keep more of our nutrition both in the soil and on top. So a little more of a balance. And that's just the difference of how different ecosystems have evolved, but they've all evolved around the biology. So the great prairies of the the Midwest and the Western states were very, this black, deep, rich soil full of humic acid and all the microbes were all there to support that incredible grass system, but those grass systems had probably as much below ground as they had above ground. Mm And that is what made them successful, you know, in doing what they evolved into their ego.
0: Wow. So these organic fertilizers, but really the organic soil foods that you're creating, how do we use them most effectively?
1: Well, I think the key here is, and you're going to ask me a question I'm going to get a little bit frequently Mm -hmm. is way better than a lot all at once. So the key of an organic system to me is again think of the pet did mm-hmm. you put out the year supply of dog food yesterday and then you don't feed her for a <laughs> year no yeah. not? so here is the same thing a little bit all the time seems to be one of the models particularly if we're reclamating or we think we're not where we want to be
2: uh-huh. so
1: you want to keep adding to it in fact i did a little personal experiment this is probably even hard of me to call it an experiment, I had not fertilized my lawn for about two years because mm-hmm. I was curious how m- long the residue of what I had put down years before was lasting. And the the benchmark was I knew when I was too far, my wife would remind me that our yard didn't particularly look great. <laughs> uh, and
2: right? she did. Uh-huh. And
1: so I refertilized. And within about 30 days, it had substantially re- rebounded, I'll just say. Uh-huh. So It proved to me once again that what we want to do is do it patiently in the sense of small amounts or reasonable amounts on a regular basis is what we're kind of after. I think the second point of this that's important is diversity.
2: Mm. Remember,
1: we're feeding 25,000 different organisms through a ecosystem. Hard to believe that one food would be the perfect food. And if we look at our own human nature and look across the globe, I doubt that there is one food that would be stand out as the single. So the, again, a diversity of right. nutrients, I think is good. I would build a fertilizer with at least six, if not seven or eight different ingredients, because we know that uh, each, to- each one is a little different and we feel supports a slightly different population mm-hmm. to get things going.
0: Wow. Cool. So one of the things that I often do is in my lectures is I tell people that I like weeds growing in my yard. Now, I don't love weeds growing in my yard, but when they show up, I let them grow to a certain extent because they're pioneer species. They show up first. They're doing a lot of the heavy digging for me. And the two things that I do with the weeds is I cut off the top of the weed right below the soil line and that becomes chicken food. But then that leaves the roots in the ground to rot and put compost right in the soil. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, if I didn't, hadn't met you earlier, I'd say you're my father.
0: Oh.
2: <laughs>
1: my father gave me that story. He says, don't be mad at the weeds. The weeds do a lot of interesting things. One of the things they do is that deep tap root brings up micronutrients
2: mm. that are likely
1: lacking in the top surface from the subsoils, mm-hmm. so iron, copper, and that are gonna be transposed. The other thing you've mentioned, and I guess we have farmers now planting turnips and radishes and things, Uh is that taproot helps bust up or break through the top soil. Mm -hmm. So weeds are phenomenal, but I'm gonna give you one additional value of your weeds. Oh, please. Because in my talk, I call them my messengers. So weeds are messengers, and we have a tendency to do something to messengers. And that's shoot
2: them.
0: Yes.
1: So the conventional side is just shoot them. But we don't listen to what the weed was telling us. If you listen to Elaine Ingeman's work, Mm -hmm. she'll tell you that every plant has an optimal nutritional and soil composition that makes it thrive. So if a weed is thriving, then there's a soil condition that makes it preferentially benefit that area versus maybe what you want to grow. So if you've got dandelions in your yard, Uh many people do, Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now your soil is compacted and it's low in calcium. So if you keep killing them, your soil tomorrow will still be compacted (laughs) and low in calcium. So until you do something to help soil compaction, which could be compost, or put down lime, not as a pH adjuster but as a nutrient, you're going to have dandelions, but if you do those two things, uh-huh. dandelions will slowly disappear. Yeah, and grasses will replace. So I think weeds are phenomenal. They are messengers. I have watched a vineyard canopy and, and between the rows change its bo- change the populations based on how I have fertilized and managed the canopy and, and managed the underneath growth. I grow more clover today than I've ever grown because I do a little more mowing and not so much spraying. And so mm. I now produce clover that produces 40 to 50 pounds of nitrogen to the acre right. uh, for those plants that was not there five years ago. Yeah. So I'm all over the fact that weeds are valuable. And of course the old definition, they're just a misplaced plant.
0: Right, exactly. They're not,
1: right. So they have their niche. So if you understand their niche, and you want something else to grow there, then help your plant, like grass, get better at what it needs to do, and we hopefully help you on our website to maybe start to figure some of that out. But there are some great books out there as well that help
0: you do that. Cool. You mentioned clover. One of my neighbors, my next-door neighbor actually, has clover growing in his yard, and he's he's a lawn guy, he loves his lawn, and I'm sure that he doesn't really like the clover growing there, but I've been going over early, early in the morning and harvesting the seeds. And bringing them mm-hmm. into my yard and dropping, into my, dropping them into my lawn because I want them growing here.
1: Well, the good news would be is if you don't have clover and want it, again, you might want to look at what you do have because uh-huh. clovers should be pretty compatible in a, I don't say well-balanced, but in a more organic format. Most people get more clover than they kind of want because they, they do work quite well together in those kind of systems. So mm-hmm. as you get maybe more organic, com- Post more organic matter in the soil. Clover should, and remember, they spread and have deep roots. So, oh, nice. They, uh, yeah, th- they should get there once you get them. They should spread reasonably well.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, so I want you to spend a couple of minutes and tell me about Garden Maker Naturals.
1: Well, Garden Maker Naturals was the, I guess, the brainchild of a lot of different people. But what we wanted to do was to give gardeners, and particularly, I think, people that want to look at the natural approach. Mm-hmm. A site that they just didn't have to come by what was there. So, what we started with was this concept first of what we call transparency, and we've maybe even a fun word, plant parents
2: transparency, mm-hmm. plant <laughs> Stealing a
1: little bit from Southwest there. Uh-huh. But the point of it was that you should know what's in your fertilizer all the way through. I mean, I, I like, I've worked for large corporations, I appreciate confidential information, but. For these, we just felt you ought to know. So the first thing we do on all our signature formulas and all of that is you get a full disclosure down to the last percent Mm -hmm. of what's in the formula. The second thing we did is what you may go, well, I like your formula, but I want to add a little of this. So we actually developed through some software development a way that you can customize either a recommended formula from us or start with your own and literally build online your own personal fertilizer, organic-based or natural-based, that mm-hmm. you can add to your to your soil. We let you sort ingredients by whether they're natural, which would be pretty much everything on the site. You can sort organically, you can sort by vegan, and you can sort by non-GMO. non-GMO. yeah. So you can do all four of those ways, and you can build your own product. If you want to add a little extra bat guano, you want to add some extra soybean meal you want to put in more of that alfalfa you heard great things about kelp so you want to add then do it right because we think that is what you know a lot of a lot of people kind of want it the way they want it and you know when it comes to soil and your food and raising things for your kids and family, mm-hmm. why shouldn't you you should have the right I say to choose and that's what we develop. We're pretty excited about GardenMaker. It is getting a lot of attention, partly maybe why we're here today. Mm-hmm. And it's been kind of fun to watch and was a lot of fun to develop, though a lot of work, to put a site together. Oh, yeah. And certainly trying to add content and everything to help people understand what we'll call the natural or the maybe the way Mother Nature intended, kind of yeah. the way for soils and plants to actually work together.
0: Wow. So I just clicked through onto your website, GardenMaker.com, and... I'm on one of the customized pages that I clicked into, Customize Ingredients and Levels. And you actually Mm -hmm. uh, have a list of ingredients that I can add, and then I can add the percentage of that that I want in my mix.
2: Correct.
1: And if you follow your numbers, Uh it'll follow your NP and K. It'll also give you a cost factor so that you kind of know what you're adding. Right. And so you can kind of follow it along and build anything you want. I think the key that we've heard a little bit is people get a little confused. They might get a little out of whack. Mm-hmm. My answer would be is if you keep your three numbers between two and about six or seven,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you're pretty safe. Yeah, You can build pretty much what you want to do, what you want to do. You get to tens and nines, which are actually hard to do, then you're probably better be pretty skilled at it. Yeah. But if you keep things in that particularly that 5 6 range you're going to be perfectly fine with what you what you're developing.
0: Wow, how cool. This is amazing. This is amazing. And, and you also yeah. have a a place for your signature blends for for those of us that would just like to buy a blend that you already have made up like for trees and shrubs.
1: Right. I think people, you know, for example, you may be a kind of an avid tomato guy, but mm-hmm. your wife or somebody wants to grow some herbs. Well, maybe you don't want to tackle a formula for herbs so we've got a we have an herb product that would be a good place to start and as you learn you might want to tweak it over time yeah. but that was kind of our idea we assume people would come with a lot of knowledge and people might come with limited knowledge yeah, and so
2: exactly this is
1: a way to help them kind of feel comfortable on the site and wow. be able to do different things epic and then a lot of people want the ingredients
2: right a lot exactly. of people just
1: want to buy and so actually i this was a take home of my own i tried to find some of these things in my early days of wanting to do this mm-hmm. and i couldn't find them you mean so like, i said oh like a bag of mids or a bag oh, of yeah. small bag of alfalfa yep. or, a, or a little so we just said mingo just put all those things on the site and let people buy them as straight ingredients if they want as well
0: nice wow i'm just blown away it's like this is amazing great congratulations i love it this is epic
1: well thank you much you know you like to be a pioneer it's been a little of my spirit and uh-huh. the team i work with. You know, Time will tell whether that is what everyone else wants to see, but I, yeah. I think I think this fits what a lot of people are trying to do. So hopefully they'll, they'll find us and Excellent. benefit
0: from Excellent. it. Excellent. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it.
1: There have been many, let's just say. And I am a guy who, in my business life and my career, don't find failure a fault. Just a uh, failure is something you should... Recognize identify and then fix and move on. Yeah, but I'm going to tell a garden one when I first started gardening with organic Materials like we're talking about I had great success the first year and I'm and I'm a guy And you know what guys do is you know a little was good the first year then
2: Oh what, a lot. Two, three times
1: got to be better got to be better next year, right? Right well, and I killed a bunch of plants and what I learned is one of the things we're doing in the soil when we put these food sources down is they're not composting. That's kind of a maybe not the right word, but they're rejuvenating that biology. And when that biology grows, it creates heat. Mm -hmm. And basically what I did is I didn't chemically burn my plants. I... Them, oh, yes. Uh, and got the soil too warm mm-hmm. and basically killed them and had to explain to a daughter who had raised all these plants.
0: Oh, my gosh. seed
1: in the basement and all of that. But overcame that and then got a real lesson in you need to be patient. Yeah. Lots more isn't always better. Mm-hmm. And also, don't stop. You learn. You need to move on. Next year you'll plant them differently and next year you'll learn better yeah. what to do. So that yeah. was. That, that was at least one of, and there was a long list of things
2: oh, yeah.
0: not that have
1: not been successful.
2: It yeah, goes
0: on and on. I
1: thought that was a good one for the garden community.
0: Absolutely. So, what do you consider your biggest success?
1: It's going to actually be, well, I'm hoping Garden Maker might become that, but uh-huh. I have to say, early in my career, back to my family and nature and helping be a little more ecologically friendly, I had the opportunity to partner with another company to build a endangered species exotic animal line which kind of covered that in the comparative nutrition right. and built a zoological line of diets to support a lot of different animals that are fairly fragile on this planet and, uh, and was quite rewarding to be invited and, and included in a lot of the pioneering decisions that would would save some of the things like black rhinos and pine island parrots and a lot wow. of the unusual species that are there. So I have to say that that'll always be a, a pretty key star and one of the things I got to do. And I did it for a number of years. Uh-huh. Really, really appreciate it. And it continues today. So
2: wow, kind of nice. exciting to
1: see that. And and I think back into my story of a, a safer, better place, uh, You know, diversity is kind of what makes this planet work. And mm-hmm. certainly losing diversity is not can't be viewed as positive.
0: Yeah. What drives you?
1: I would say when I was younger, I guess success and moving quickly and all that. As I have aged a bit, I would say what drives me is I guess the the comfort of hopefully helping things work better. Uh, maybe there'll be a day and I will be when I'm gone. I really find Working on projects that help people achieve what they want to do and what makes them happy is just rewarding. All the heck, mm. I just really <laughs> enjoy coming up with products or talking to people on how they go, want to garden, or because they get so excited about seeing the opportunities. And that is, I think, what really really drives me going. Yeah. Um, there's,
0: so. there's, a, there's a lot there, isn't there?
1: I hope so. Yeah. It yeah. is really about friendship and community and all of that that goes with it. It really is what, you know, as I said earlier on, it was probably a little more financial, a little more harder. Yeah. And over time that is really mellowed to a, to a different approach.
0: I love it. So if you could recommend one book, what would it be and why?
1: I'm going to have some fun with you here. Uh, And it is, this is not out of school, probably the book that I, and I'm not a, I'm an avid article reader, but I'm not always an avid book reader. Uh Uh-huh. And I fell in love with The Lord of the Rings many, many, many years ago.
2: Uh
1: And I thought about when you I knew about this question, and I said, how can a gardener not like a book where one of the heroes is an action figure gardener? How can you just not love the fact that a gardener... Saves the World. Yeah. So, And Mac, my grandson's name is Sam, so we have a lot of fun with
2: oh, nice. Sam
1: the garden gardener. So I think that's the book. Now, yeah. on a technical basis,
2: mm-hmm.
1: a book by Paul Tukey called The Organic Lawn Manual is probably yeah. high on my list as well because I got to know Paul as he was writing that and then many years after and and to see the passion of what he was desiring to do and seeing it come to fruition for him
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the message it delivered was was also quite positive and and i probably another one of the books i look at though certainly a very different fiction versus you know non fiction but uh, but certainly a, a great and as i said for me because I knew the man that wrote it and the the passion he had for the subject he was he was really, uh, you know writing about. So right. That was kind of neat.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to throw a curveball here at you on this one, given that you brought up the organic lawn manual. One of the things that is recommended by home stores and gardeners and and everybody is to once a year go in and dethatch your lawn. And I have seen over and over and over again that lawns have a tendency to fail after that because a lot of the organic matter is being taken away. Do you have a, Did you have two cents worth on that?
1: Yeah. Might even give you a quarter on this one. All right. First of all, thatch is not grass clippings.
0: Uh-huh.
2: People
1: tend to think it is. It's actually dying plants. And if you have an organic system, you don't need to de-thatch. The earthworms and the critters mm-hmm. will take care of all the thatch for you.
2: So uh... the only
1: time I recommend... De thatching is at the beginning, if you had a fairly chemically based lawn system and you have thatch, and this goes for aeration as well. Yeah. I'm not a big fan after, but at the beginning there might be a logic to de thatch it, core aerate it, replant it, and then mm-hmm. apply organic fertilizers. My hope would be is that's the last time you will ever need to yeah. do it. Because I don't like it. I am with you, it adds to the organic Got matter. It. And if your soil is balanced, it should be getting rid of that for you. And again, you you need to look at weeds and you need to look at a lot of attributes. Because I think I said earlier, sometimes you just need to stop and look Yeah. and listen to what's going on and observe, and you will yeah. learn a lot about what is kind of going on.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I've... And I'm not a great big fan of lawns, especially here in the desert. You know, we're oh, here, no. we're here oh, in no. <laughs> we're here in Phoenix, Arizona, and there are tens of thousands of acres of lawns here in Phoenix. And I've been trying to get people to convert their lawns to edibles. But one of the things that I've been doing with my lawns is I've been harvesting the seeds of my plants, like I mentioned the clover earlier, parsley, those kinds of things, and I've been adding them into my lawn area so that when that I get this biodiversity of other things growing in my lawn. And then when I do have lawn clippings once a month or so, that's what goes to feed the chickens. So there's a more Mm -hmm. biodiverse food source going to the chickens.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, I'm a Midwestern guy, so we are fortunate to be able to grow a certain amount of grasses and that reasonably easily. Mm -hmm. But no, lawns are a I think environmentally, I will step on somebody's toes, I'm sure, are actually not a very sound investment. Uh, They consume an enormous amount of resources, tend to want to grow monocultures, which you've just described you're not trying to do, but that's typically what a lawn is about. And monocultures are just fighting Mother Nature. And the way we beat Mother Nature is through energy. So we Mm. are consuming a mind-limited resource of energy in order to have a lawn, when in reality, I think if you looked at the big scheme of things, you'd look at that and go, hmm, probably not where we want to get too carried away with. (laughs) Aesthetically, they can be very pleasing. I don't disagree. Yeah. But they were a formation from meadows. Right. And meadows are not monocultures. Yeah. If you ever look and walk through a meadow, you will find hundreds and hundreds of plants and much diverse biology that lives with it. And that is very different ecosystem than what I would call a lawn.
0: Right. And so, I'm yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for that. I, I, uh, I like to rant a little bit about lawns and that was a good one. So, so what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: Both personally and for your garden, it's patience. Hmm. Just be patient. Mm-hmm. It will work. It is proven over and over. Just enjoy it. Don't try to rush it, and and I, and I think that would be probably the best advice I could give both to people, and certainly in my life, I've hopefully gained some along the way. Yeah. I don't think i got a heavy dose at the front end, so I think some patience and help just try things, don't sweat the details, mm-hmm. just work at it, and I think you'll be rewarded. A guy once told me, and it was a guy, he says, you will gain your passion for naturals and organics at the back end, not the front end. He says you will do it because you're interested, but you will gain your passion once you see it work. And that is that advice I would give people. If you want to do it, do it. But if you think you're excited about it now, wait till you see tomatoes grow nine feet tall, wait till you see a beautiful green lawn without any chemicals, then you will really begin to understand what the passion of organics and natural and those kind of things really yeah. are. So don't get in a hurry.
0: Wow. You wowed me again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's been fun. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Bill.
1: It's been a great pleasure. You can tell I have a little gift of gab, I guess. So enjoyed the chatting and, Hope the people that listen get something out of it, Yeah, and best luck moving forward. Thanks.
0: And, and you provided us with some amazing information. So how can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: Back through the website, GardenMaker.com will be the best place to leave a message.
0: Perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash GardenMaker. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. and start growing delicious nutritious food for your family just text garden to 44222 or go to iwanttogarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food remember that's garden to 44222 or iwanttogarden.com